We're going to continue our study in Hebrews chapter 11. You'll find this reading on page 1007 if you're using the Pew Bible. We'll read verses 1 through 7, which historically in Genesis covers chapters 1 through 11 from creation through uh, Noah and the Tower of Babylon chronologically. And you'll see that there's, it's a bit of a, a unit because the word unseen is found in the first verse and the seventh verse. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible, that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Thus the reading of God's word. Let us pray together. Oh Lord, thank you for giving us this, your word, but we come to it weak, we come to it distracted. Lord, we pray, so work in our hearts that we would receive your word and that, Lord, we would live it out gladly and fruitfully in our lives. We ask this for your glory. Amen. The title of last week's sermon was Believing is Seeing. You know, usually you hear that the other way, right? Seeing is believing. But this passage reverses that and says we see because we believe. The translation of one commentator of verse 1 is the reality, faith is the reality of the blessings for which we hope. The demonstration of events not seen. So faith celebrates now the reality of future blessings. Faith brings the future into the present and makes it real and certain to us so that believing brings seeing. Faith enables us 
to see. It unveils the future so we grasp it and we hold it to our hearts and we live our lives by that future. That's how real it is to us. And I love how one commentator, William Lane, uh, translates this. He, instead of says, instead of saying faith is, he gives kind of the feeling or the notion of the passage, faith celebrates the reality of the things it hopes for. That really gets to it. Faith enables us to celebrate and rejoice in, count on these future realities. Faith celebrates the proof, the demonstration of things we have not yet seen. And then we come to verse 3 about creation. The first part speaks of creation made by the word of God. Now, to get at this a little bit, just think about the complexity of organic life. Scholars or, or scientists tell us that in the human body, there are 36 trillion cells, 36 trillion in an adult male, the average adult male. In the average adult female, there are 28 trillion. We have more than you do. Nya, 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 nya. Uh, in the average 10-year-old, there are 17 trillion cells. Now, each one of those cells is working hard. All the liver cells are getting with all the other cells and they're doing the liver thing and all the skin cells are getting with all the other skin cells and they're doing the skin thing and the heart thing and all the technological wonders of our bodies. But then you go inside one of those cells. You go inside one of those cells where there are proteins. Proteins are the workhorses of the cell. All the structures and all the work and movement and everything is conducted by proteins in the cell. And in one cell of the, say, the woman's 28 trillion, in one cell are 42 million proteins. Do that math for me right now, would you? <laughs> and, of course... Every one of those proteins is working, doing something. A, an unimaginable complexity. And now we, perhaps we get a little bit better feel for Psalm 33 when it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. You imagine a God who would speak and that complex human body with all of its bewildering, working, perfect parts would come into being. He speaks it into being as easy as you say the word pecan. <laughs> Glorious God made it, created by his word. And then the second half of the verse is wonderfully illustrated by the story of the scientist who challenges God to, uh, that he can make something as well as God. 
And so they gather in this room. The scientist is on one end of a long table. God's on the other. And the scientist has all of his machinery that he's going to use. And he's got a pile of dirt sitting there. And God begins a conversation. And he says this. Go get your own dirt. You get the point. He started with something. God says, no, start with nothing. Go get your own dirt. I made the dirt. And that's what's said here. It's made from things not visible. Things were not there. Then God spoke and they were there. They weren't in existence. He spoke. They came into existence. He didn't start with stuff. He started the stuff. (laughs) He didn't start with stuff. He made the stuff. He spoke, and there was stuff. Beautiful, wondrous, magnificent, breathtaking creation. There are three things I'd like to talk about in relationship to this creation. Faith, adoration, and Christ. Faith, adoration, and Christ. By faith, we believe. By faith, we believe what the Bible says about God's creation. And by faith, this shapes the way we think about the whole of our lives, the way we think about God himself. He made us, therefore, he owns us. He alone sustains us. He gives us every breath. And would that I could bear that in mind all day long. If you're visiting today, perhaps you don't trust in Christ. Maybe you largely disregard God in your life. But I would say to you what Paul said to the Greeks in Athens. These were people who hardly had not even heard of the God of Israel or Jesus Christ. But Paul said this to them. these pagan worshipers. God who made the world and everything in it, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made people that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. What an intimate relationship he has with every human being. Because in him, every human being lives and moves and has his or her being. What an intimate relationship with every human being on this earth that God has. And we can declare that to them. We can tell them who our God is. And when you think of a world in rebellion against him, you have to think, how kind is this God? How patient is he that he is that personally involved in every one of these people's lives. Psalm 121 that we began with declares, where's my help? 
from where does my help come? Or as we say in Alabama, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our salvation is so strong and so complete and so perfect because it comes from the one who made heaven and earth. Oh, I forgot to say the words for the kids. Such a dodo bird, I'm sorry. The first word we've already covered, sell, right? That's a freebie. You already got that. Don't have to write it down. Then bird and cat. Bird and cat. I need somebody with a big sign in the back. Show me the words. Our transformation is possible because we trust in the God who made heaven and earth. Only that God can change us. Only that God can make us new creatures. Our ability to change even simple habits and perspectives that have been with us for years. That doesn't matter. Because we trust in the God who made heaven and earth. Our being really different, really different than we've been. Progressively, significantly, consistently different than we've been can happen because we trust in the God who made heaven and earth. Nothing is impossible. There are no limits to this God. It means that we can have growth in every aspect of our worship and our congregational life. It means that we can experience growing unity and love as a body because we trust in the God who made heaven and earth. It means that we're able to be a congregation more and more that's marked by love and mercy to our community, our being able to make known the gospel of Jesus Christ by word and deed because we trust in the God who made heaven and earth. There are no limits to this God. There are no limits to his salvation for us. He will bring final justice in the earth. He will resurrect our bodies. He will bring us into the new creation because he is that God. I love how Paul puts it in Philippians 3 when he's talking about Jesus comes from our, uh, where our citizenship is in heaven and he will come and he'll transform our lowly bodies into conformity with his glorious body by the power that he has to subject all things to himself. That's that's behind every single thing that's stated about what Christ does. He's got the power to subject all things to himself. And we're facing sin and difficulty and loss and tragedy. We trust in the God who made heaven and earth. By faith, it's not just an abstract concept. It's personal. Faith, adoration. Short of catechism. What is the chief end of a human being? It says man. It includes both, of course. The chief end of a human being is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I like John Piper's version of that. To glorify God by enjoying him forever. Because we can't honor him. We can't glorify him if we don't delight in him. If we don't enjoy him. If we don't adore him 
Our life is to be full of adoration and admiration and joy in who he is. How many times? Rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to take a section from uh, C.S. Lewis' Letters to Malcolm. It's uh, pages 88 to 91 if you happen to want to check on it. But, um, and so I'm going to use a lot of statements uh, that Lewis has made and weave in a lot of my stuff. You'll be able to tell which is, which is silver and which is dross. But anyway, uh, <laughs> as we go forward. But I just wanted to acknowledge my debt to Lewis here. But he calls creation. Now, thinking about the adoration of God or adoration through creation or adoring him because of his creation. We talked about believing in him, trusting him because he is the creator, and now adoring him because he's the creator. Creation is an exposition of his glory. It's a 24-hour broadcast of the glory of God. As Psalm 19 begins... Uh, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. It's like they're, they're saying it. Uh, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. It's like a grand proclamation or sermon that is preaching to us of his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. It's like you can't keep up with it. It just comes at you all the time from every direction. What's coming at me? The glory of God. Is coming at you all the time. And I'm not just saying creation, but because God made everything that man uses to make his culture, and he gave man his mind to build culture, everything that we experience in this life is just shining the glory of God into our lives. And just a, a note of warning here, Romans 1 begins the whole train of sinfulness that Paul starts with Romans 1 all the way through Romans 3. It starts with this. They did not, even though he was clearly seen in creation, mankind would not recognize him. They would not honor him. They would not enjoy him. They would not thank him. The root of all human sin is ignoring the glory of God in creation. So the pleasures from creation and culture are, Lewis says, shafts of God's glory. There are bad pleasures like the stealing of an apple, but the apple tastes good and that's still a good pleasure, right? And we must make every pleasure a channel of adoration. And that doesn't mean just thank him for it, but to adore him in it, to admire his ingenuity, his unlimited brilliance and power. And Lewis talks about the concept of reading our pleasures, reading our pleasures. It gives the example, not this particular word, but let's take the word boat. If you see the word boat, you don't see a collection of four random letters. You, you can't even separate seeing it and reading it. It just happens at the same time. Uh, same thing if you hear a bird, uh, a bird song. You don't just say, 
oh, that's a, a sound. You say, that's a bird. You read the sound. You know what it is. And so in a deeper way, Lewis is saying, we must read our pleasures and realize who is giving this, where this came from. He speaks about the aroma from the orchard that it came from, the, the wind or the breeze from the land it came from. <clears throat> so to read these pleasures and recognize where they come from. Now, we can misread sounds. <clears throat> My wife had the kind of happy and weird experience of telling me and some others, I think there's a river or big stream by our house. I hear it all the time. And she asked me about it. Do you know of a river? Have you seen it anywhere around our house? And she knows what that's like because we one time slept uh, in Colorado in a place right by a river. We just, it was freezing cold, but we left the windows open so we could hear that sound, that wonderful rushing water. So she knew what that sounded like, but then she found out it was the wind in the pines and oaks and beaches that was making that glorious sound. But in a terrible way, we can misread what we receive from God every day and misread it as just a sound. And it's not from God. It's not from Him. To recognize this came from God. I'm eating this watermelon. He, he knows what He made. He knows me. He knows what it would be like for me to eat a watermelon. And he's here and he's fellowshipping with me and he delights in my enjoyment of this watermelon. That should be second nature to us, just like seeing the word boat and just reading it. Just reading from the first drink of orange juice to the warmth of covers on a cold night at the end of the day. Just a series of the enjoyments of what Lewis calls the tiny theophanies, the tiny manifestations of God. And gratitude declares how good of God to give me this, but then when we get into adoration, we begin to ask what is this God like? I've, I've thought that watching a squirrel. I've certainly seen it like William Blake in his poem on Tiger. Who made this animal? Or a whale. Who is the God that made this? What are you like? So we run from the sunbeam up to the sun. And if we live this well how wonderful it would be. Focusing on our pleasures is actually hard work. To live by faith in him as our creator is a great challenge. Only God can bring it about in our lives, but thankfully it's part of his salvation. Think how recognizing all the tiny theophanies in your life can populate your days with delight and adoration. I saw here just a, a few things, and I hope you'll think of these and then just multiply out the everyday things that happen in your life. I saw a duck. It gotten ice on its beak. 
It could still breathe. It could still open its mouth, but it couldn't get the ice off. It was a pretty thick little piece of ice. You know, he's shaking around all this. Well, what did he do? Stuck his head under his wing where it was warm, and the ice melted off. I love what a man taught years ago that we're made in God's image, but animals are made in our image. And that's why we enjoy them, because they do so many things that are like us or make us think of things we would do. Um, I saw baby tigers, baby tigers. And the mama tiger was right there, and the baby tigers would stick their nose up against a cobra. And you're like, Mama, are you out of your mind? Cobra tried to strike them, couldn't touch them. That's how fast the baby tigers were. God did that, and God let me see it and let me worship him. A funny one, we mentioned in our elders meeting beforehand, cats howling outside. That's the kind of thing we talk about in there. But um, <laughs> no, Grant had heard his cat getting into it with another cat. Well, it showed this cat at a screen door, another cat's on the outside, and the cat just hits the screen door trying to get at that cat. And then it rises on its hind legs and starts the meow. You know how they do. They meow at each other. They go, and they'll just go the longest time. Well, he went so long, he keeled over. <laughs> he made himself faint. And you're like, if you're a psychologist with the cat, you're like, you know, you have to work on your anger problem. <laughs> this is going to hurt you bad one day. But you can think about bat echolocation or chlorophyll or music or architecture or technology. And Lewis makes a great point. If we can't adore him on the lowest level, can we truly adore him on the highest level? Adore him. Oh, brothers and sisters, adore him as your creator. And finally, Christ. Christ. You know, the New Testament labors, like John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, to underscore that God made everything through Christ. And it's making sure we understand that Jesus Christ is God and he is the creator of the world. So God, Christ, who is God, is the creator. Therefore, God entered his creation. God took to himself flesh. God became the God-man. God and man in two distinct natures, but one glorious person. He took to himself flesh forever. He forever joined himself to us. The creator joining himself to those he made, becoming one of them, living life in this dark and broken world, so identifying with us that he took our sin upon himself and suffered and died in our place the creator did this. He was judged and punished in our place. The creator took on himself the sins of the created 
when he could have simply wiped out all of creation and be done with it. He loved us. The Creator loved us. He knew our sin and all of its desperate evil, as Paul describes it in Romans 1, saying, among other things, we are haters of God, insolent, haughty, inventors of evil, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, but he loved us. And he became a human being for us. You know, we're told that you'll have to face your maker one day. It's true. I'm asking you to face your maker right now. Face the one who made you and grapple with the fact that this one who made me keeps me alive every day. I couldn't breathe without him. He came in the form of man and he took sins upon himself and he died in the place of sinners and he suffered for their sins so that if you trust in him, your sins will be taken away forever. You'll be accepted by him. You'll become a child of his that will never change. I urge you, come to grips with the one who made the world. And then just imagine enjoying this creation and culture in fellowship with this God who would come and die for you. Let us pray. Oh, Lord. We praise you, we honor you, mighty creator God. Staggering details and complexities, vastness of creation. And yet you would take upon yourself flesh and bear our punishment to set us free from sin and prepare a place for us in the new earth forever. Oh, Lord, enable us to adore you with all of our heart and all of our mind.